when the federal government collapses, and again, I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, then obviously the Federal Reserve uh, will collapse. I don't know what the means of exchange will be. I hope it is a gold and silver or some valuable commodity. Um, you don't have to carry around a brick of gold in your pocket, but you can carry something that can be redeemed for gold. Welcome to this extremely important Coffee with Lynette interview with a man I have enormous respect for, Judge Andrew Napolitano. I was honored to be on the same venue with him at Gerald Salente's Freedom Rally in Kingston, New York, last 4th of July. But no one understands the Constitution better. A graduate of Princeton University and the University of Notre Dame Law School, he is the youngest life-tenured Superior Court judge in the history of the state of New Jersey. He's taught constitutional law and jurisprudence at Delaware Law School and Seton Hall Law School, and now hosts the podcast Judging Freedom, which you can find on his Judge Napolitano YouTube channel, which of course the link is below and also on our blog. He has been published in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, and numerous other publications, and has authored nine books on the U.S. Constitution. He is nationally known for watching and reporting on the government as it takes liberty and property. And I'm very happy to see you again, Judge. Thank you so much for giving us some of your valuable time and joining us today. You know, the Constitution establishes the U.S. as a federal democratic republic form of government. But recently, Barbara F. Walter, a CIA panel member, told us that the U.S. is no longer a democracy, but has become an anocracy. Further, both she and Ray Dalio Dalio has warned of a potential civil war. So can you explain what an anocracy is and do you think that we really are headed for a civil war? Well, I don't know. I don't know the word anocracy, oh. but I can tell you that the government of the United States of America is not run by the Democrats who control the Congress or the White House, or even if the Republicans control the Congress or the White House but by what we derisively call the deep state, which truly does exist. Yes. It's those parts of the government that never change with elections, that themselves aren't popularly elected, that have no visibility or transparency, but wield tremendous power. So it's the intelligence community, the federal law enforcement community, which is not just the FBI, there are many, many, many federal law enforcement entities, I'll give you an example, there's only 8,000 FBI agents. TSA has 60,000 <laughs> cops. I don't think Americans even know that. They don't dress like cops, but they're cops. But they're, yeah. The uh, Federal Reserve, the uh, uh, administrative state, and the people in the private sector that benefit from this and cooperate with them like bankers and uh, former federal agents that are now earning 10 and 20 times their salaries when they worked for the government. So that's the first 
part of the question. The second part of the question is, I don't know, and of course, I hope not, but we are, you're younger than I am, but you you not might much. remember, <laughs> you might remember the late 60s, the Vietnam War era. I mean, that's the last time the country was as divided. And mm -hmm. I think we are more divided now than we were then. That was generational. This yes. is ideological. It doesn't have anything to do with age or generation or a fear of the draft. Right. It's just people who've had enough of government and people who want the government to give them something. Those are basically the two sides. There's a lot of nuance in there. You know, there's the Tremendous. hawks that always want war. There's the isolationists, of which I am one, that think the only just war is a defensive war. Um, we are profoundly, bitterly divided, more so yes, than before are. Trump was president, more so than when he left the White House. When you talk about the deep state, do you think this division is intentional? And you know, perhaps even like a misdirection? Well, I don't know what the deep state wants other than to aggrandize its own power. Uh, I happen to believe from anecdotal uh, evidence, but also from a consistent uh, pattern, that the deep state has dirt on many, many people in the government, decent people in the government, and it uses the threats of that dirt. Where did it get the dirt? Well, it spies on everybody all the time. Right. Uh, to to get Congress to vote to continue its powers uh, and to uh, and to increase its budgets. What does the deep state want? It wants to stay uh, in power. There are a lot of people who believe uh, that the federal government is so burdened with debt that a time will come when it can't pay its debts. No one will lend its monies by buying bonds. Uh, its cash will be worthless. And what will happen? It'll collapse. Right. And we will break off into a half dozen or a dozen uh, smaller countries. Uh, if you're in uh, Texas or Arizona, you might have a lot of freedom. If you're in the Northeast where I am, forget about it. It'll be the People's Republic uh, of the Northeast. Uh, but the almighty federal government will probably be gone. Now, I don't think that'll happen in my lifetime, but we are on the road to that happening. That would be a peaceful civil war, sort of like the way the Soviet Union fell apart. Right, right, relatively peaceful. But, yes. you know, I mean, I, I pay a lot of attention to money, right? right. And not, not your fiat money, but real money. And as a constitutionalist, can you address, you know, money, the fiat money, and then the upcoming CBDC, central bank digital currencies? Well, I hope that the central bank, that the Federal Reserve fails in its efforts to regulate uh, digital currencies because digital currencies represent freedom. Cash used to represent freedom, but now, of course, the government requires so many people that deal with cash, not the least of which are banks, to report cash transactions. By the way, the federal statutes, I'll get to fiat money in a second. Federal statutes report or require the all banks chartered by the federal government, which is most of them, to report cash transactions of $10,000 or more. Mm -hmm. The National Security Agency, the NSA, the domestic spies in conjunction with the CIA, we just learned this the other day from uh, Senator Ron Wyden, 
a liberal Democrat, but a champion of privacy and personal liberty. The NSA and the CIA have been tracking cash transactions of $500 or more without authority and without a search warrant. Fiat money, of course, is, is the root of nearly all of our evils uh, because it consists of the Federal Reserve used to be printing cash when they had a printing press. Now they'll just add zeros on the accounts of their favorite bankers. So Jamie Dimon and Chase will benefit tremendously from this, but more uh, cash chasing the same amount of goods produces what we now have. Last month, 7.9% inflation, worst in America since Jerry Ford was the president. And that's official, which means yes. you know it's worse. Correct. <laughs> Those are the government's numbers, right? <laughs> right. So you know the reality, reality exactly. is worse. Uh, I am a uh, devotee and fan of, and I, I think you may be also, of the late, great Murray Rothbard. Yes. A brilliant um, academician, economist, and political philosopher, who, by the way, was thrown out of NYU because he was too libertarian for them and ended up not far where you are uh, in, in the great Western uh, state of Nevada. And he made his bones at uh, UNLV, mm -hmm. University of Nevada at Las Vegas. But Murray Rothbard uh, demonstrated conclusively uh, how uh, fiat money is is at the root of so much of our evils. And the only entities that benefit from it are the people that first get it. Exactly. Everybody else, everybody else ends up with a, with a, a dollar worth far less than it was before they started this thing. That's why when I mentioned the uh, deep state, I said bankers and private entities that are their collaborators. I'm not blaming Jamie Dimon personally inherited this system, but he's, he's the chair of, of Chase, right? J.P. Morgan Chase. All those people, chairs of the, of the big banks that get the zeros added onto their uh, accounts. No gold backing it, no silver backing it, nothing backing it. Right. Fiat in that, the, the government just created out of thin air. All those people become fabulously rich because of it, the rest of us suffer terribly. That's it. <laughs> Same thing. Oh, I have to have one of those. I know. We'll send you one. We'll send you one. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, you know, I have a whole slew of them so that we can all play central bankers. Right. Because actually right. it's even easier than just pushing that button. But yes. The constitutionality of the Federal Reserve has never reached the Supreme Court. They have always managed to get challenges to the constitutionality of the Federal Reserve dismissed at the trial level. I think I know what the court would do. The other day, the court allowed the federal government to shield torture on the theory that it's a state secret. I am sure the court would uphold the, uh, the Federal Reserve, but it'd be interesting to see what their argument is because it is so profoundly constitutional, unconstitutional, okay, yeah. so profoundly uh, against all of Madison's free market uh, clauses in the document itself. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you made a perfect point in that those that are closest to whoever creates the money benefits the most because it has the most value. Officially, we have three cents left out of that dollar and with interest rates anchored at zero, you know, they can talk all they want about raising interest rates and stopping QE. But uh, do you think they can really do that? And, you know, and I definitely want your opinion on the central bank digital currencies, too. Well, 
when the federal government collapses, and again, I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, then obviously the Federal Reserve uh, will collapse. I don't know what the means of exchange will be. I hope it is a gold and silver or some valuable commodity. Um, you don't have to carry around a brick of gold in your pocket, but you can carry something that can be redeemed for gold, right? As, as was uh, the case before FDR seized gold. And then uh, 40 years later, when uh, Richard Nixon officially took us off uh, the gold standard to horrific, horrific decisions made by men that didn't understand uh, economics 101, but in whose hands uh, we repose to this power. Uh, as for uh, cryptocurrency, the beauty of it is it's anonymity uh, and the government can't reach it. But if the government starts regulating cryptocurrency, something else will pop up. Privacy and freedom right. come from our human nature. The government can build all the walls it wants around us and create all the obstacles it wants. The minds of men and women who love freedom and privacy will continue to outsmart the government until the government collapses or until people who think like Thomas Massey and, and Ron Paul are a majority in the government. From your mouth to God's ears. I mean, yes. honestly. Because it, it's almost like you knew what was coming when, you know, just recently with these recent mandates, when you wrote this book in 2014, where you talked about the radical expansion of presidential powers and the lethal threat to American liberty. The radical expansion was something I never even imagined. I can't claim to have predicted COVID, but I am not surprised all these COVID regulations from lockdowns, a phrase I hate because that refers to closing down a jail, but everybody used it. From lockdowns to social distancing, to masks, to vaccines, some of which may temper the intensity of the COVID, all of which, here's my point, came from mayors or governors or from presidents, Trump and Biden. What's the point? Under the constitution, the executive branch can't write laws. Only the legislative branch can. This is not a city council. This is not a state legislature. We all know this is not the Congress. These were edicts issued by executive powers. We're under our system. The executive enforces laws. The executive doesn't make laws. But the presidential power has expanded so radically and derivatively gubernatorial power, governors, has expanded so radically that barely a peep other than from those of us like you and me and our colleagues in, in the media and in academia that watch this stuff for a living, right. barely a peep over, well, where does this come from? This isn't a mandate. This executive order is toothless. It means nothing. I was talking to some state troopers in New Jersey shortly after another team of state troopers visited the home of a retired Roman Catholic bishop in his late 70s because he had dared to keep Catholic churches open after the governor, Phil Murphy, a lapsed Catholic, ordered that they be closed. And I said to these troopers, do you remember day one in the academy? Rule one, it is unlawful to obey an unlawful order. And they all looked at me and said, yes, but who's going to be the first one to stand up and say that? 
I says, well, whoever it is may not be a state trooper any longer, but they'll be a genuine American hero and they'll sleep well at night. Yeah, you just gave me chills because we all have to ask ourselves, if not me, who? And if not now, when? That is really, really hard because along with everything that's happening and the marriage between big tech and government, where we are definitely in and have been in, but it's getting worse, a surveillance economy or surveillance, complete surveillance state. I mean, I, I'm going to be, uh, and, and viewers know this because I've said, you know, I'm really grappling with this. So maybe you can help me because I have so much admiration for you. You know, it isn't just that Entities like Google and Facebook are monitoring what you say, and if they don't like it, then they take you off the air or can destroy you. It's gotten to the point where we are self-policing, aren't we? And, and Well, if, if Google and Facebook are doing the government's bidding, well, that imposes on Google and Facebook the same restrictions that the Constitution imposes on the government. That's called state action when a private actor either openly or secretly does the government's bidding for them, then the private actor has the same restrictions as the government. Well, the government mm -hmm. since 1947, when the national security act was signed by uh, Harry Truman, uh, the government has been on a security state mode, uh, utterly uh, disregarding the fourth amendment and arguing that it can spy as it wishes uh, without search warrants because the government's argument is the Fourth Amendment only restrains law enforcement. It doesn't restrain intelligence. Well, that's hogwash. The Fourth Amendment was written by James Madison with memories of British agents and soldiers banging on the doors of colonists, demanding to see if they had the king's image on all their pieces of paper called the Stamp Act. Uh, that really tipped the scales in favor of the secession, and I use that word intentionally, Lynn, the secession of the 13 colonies uh, from Great Britain. And it also impelled the Fourth Amendment, which is intended to protect us from all government, not just law enforcement. Right. Well, because the, the individual, the state was supposed to support the individual, the federal government's supposed to support the state, but everything has been flip-flopped and what, you know, honestly, I have to ask you, what can we do? How many, what percentage of the population needs to understand what you're saying, what I've been trying to say, and, and many others in our, in our um, area? I, I don't know if the public will understand this uh, until their dollars are worthless. So it's, it's, it's really going to have to come to that. Uh, worthless or or nearly worthless, you know. And, and again, I go to Texas, and I have some issues with the government of Texas. But in, in, when it comes to money, it's a very free place. In Texas, of course, you can use gold or silver to buy things, and right. the state will issue it. it doesn't give it away. You, you pay the state ten dollars, you get ten dollars worth of gold, which isn't very much gold today. But that's just an example that I'm using, and and that currency might actually replace the federal currency uh, when the feds go away. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I and, and Lou Rockwell and, and Murray Rothbard and Tom Woods and, and a lot of our and Gerald Salenti and a lot of our friends 
have been preaching this for a couple of uh, generations. More and more people are learning about it. More and more people are eschewing the National Democratic Party because it's being tugged so far to the left. Uh, the National Republican Party, because we don't even know what it stands for uh, anymore in favor of a more leave me alone type government. These people don't necessarily call themselves libertarians as you and I are, but they're leaning toward libertarian thinking because it's easy to observe uh, the government's failures. I mean, the Federal Reserve has become uh, a joke. Uh, interest is. rates are the rent you pay on money. Uh, why can't those interest rates float in accordance with supply and demand? Why does Jay Powell, by the way, lived across the hall from me when we were undergraduates at Princeton. He probably never iman imagined I'd end up on television. and He'd end up with the Federal Reserve. <laughs> I'll tell you as a, as a story. In the same years at Princeton, Jay Powell, Mark Milley, who's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Sam Alito, my classmate on the Supreme Court, Elena Kagan uh, on the Supreme Court, Sonia Sotomayor on the Supreme Court and yours truly, you ended up on Fox and Friends. <laughs> we were all there at the same time. But but Jay Powell Interesting. Um, put aside his great education, uh, you know, seems to uh, believe that he can enhance a prosperity by restraining freedom. Well, that has never, ever, ever worked ever in the worked. history of the world, and it's not going to work in the future. Do, do you really think he thinks that? Well, you I know, mean, I don't know if he thinks it. He acts like he thinks it. Yeah. I mean, what are interest rates now? Oh, my God. Well, what's you the know. what's the advantage of saving? You might as well put your dollars in a shoebox underneath the bed. Well, that's kind of been true since the Federal Reserve took over, isn't it? You know, and yes. what tools do they have? I mean, I love how they keep saying that they're going to use all of their tools to fight this inflation when they've all of their tools created this. And what are their tools? Interest rates and printing presses. That's it. That's it. Both both signs of tyrants. Exactly. But, you know, I recently listened to a survivor of Auschwitz. And he explained how Hitler came into power and how, you know, how they didn't leave when they saw it. Because he said it... it First, they start slowly, right? And they take away a little, for, they target groups, and then they take away a little bit of freedom, and they create a little bit of inconvenience. Not too bad. Okay, you can't sit on these benches, but there are other benches you can sit on. And then people get used to it. And before you know it, then it starts to speed up. I see parallels in what he's talking about, especially with the polarization like you were talking about. I, I see parallels because all all monsters, all dictators have to have some person or group uh, that they hate. Yep. You know, the government, the government which prosecutes hate crimes is the biggest perpetrator of hate in, in all of history. The government hated blacks when it allowed them to be enslaved. They hated them again during Jim Crow. And then the government told us we should we should hate the Soviet Union, and then we should hate Iran, and then we should hate Saddam Hussein. And then, I know this sounds absurd because it's a virus, we should hate COVID, and now we should hate Vladimir Putin. The government accomplishes wonders for itself 
when it can preach this hatred. Of course, in in the case of the Holocaust, it was the Jewish people, and it was horrible and horrific. God bless those who got out early, who saw it coming, and those who, who survived. But we don't even know the number. Probably 12 million were, were slaughtered horrifically uh, because of Nazi Germany's need to have a group of people that it hated. And average, everyday Germans went along with it. That's it. And that was his message. Do not be complacent. And we've got the polarization, but I, I mean, are you also seeing the complacency among people? Yes. Yes. Uh, the complacency was manifested by everybody that put on a mask. And then everybody that insisted you, you uh, stay six feet away from everybody else. And I'll go back to the state police again. They were brutal uh, here in New Jersey. A famous case of uh, two blue-collar kids that successfully built a very uh, popular gym. They had people working out in the gym at 2 in the morning with the doors locked. The state police used sledgehammers to break in and yank everybody out and lock up the uh, owners. Now, everybody was there voluntarily. By the way, nobody got sick from that gym. It shouldn't be a footnote. That should be the headline. That should, right. But, but, but the fact that people accepted it, that my former colleagues in the New Jersey judiciary uh, validated it, uh, is, is reprehensible. So to me, the greatest and most dangerous lesson of COVID is not what the government did, but what the government got away with. Yes. And how, how pliant people were in accepting the government uh, orders and in refusing to uh, challenge them or in losing the challenges. Boy, you I know, there comes a time I'm not advocating violence. And I think what happened on January 6th was part political demonstration, but mainly criminal. Uh, but there comes a time when you have to stand stand your ground. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Woodrow Wilson locked up young men for reciting the Declaration of Independence outside of draft offices. His theory was this will deter people from registering for the draft and cause us to lose World War II, World War One World War One perhaps the most unjust and least useful war we ever fought. Of course, you can add Afghanistan and Iraq and the Korean War in there, but World War I was just a, absurd for us to get involved in. Uh, but if you read the Declaration of Independence, which is enacted as law by the Congress, it tells us when the government fails to protect our liberties, it is the right and the duty of the people to alter or abolish it. More people need, this is a long-winded answer to your great question, my dear friend, more people need to have that attitude. I'm not saying they have to walk around with guns uh, on their hips uh, and, and attacking the Capitol building, but they need to have that attitude. Well, let me say something about guns. I have all these, you know, I live in a repressive, repressive state when it comes to guns. And the other day, some friends at a small gathering said to me, you know, why do you need an AR-15? Why do I need an AR-15? Turn on the television. Yeah. Watch Fox News or CNN. That's why you need an AR-15. 
because you don't know when what's happening there in Ukraine is happening here. Exactly. If those good and decent Ukrainians didn't have AR-15s, Putin's people would be dancing in the streets tonight. That is a really, really good and scary point. I'm frankly glad I live in Arizona where it has not been as intense as it's been for you guys in the Northeast. I think that's going to change. There's a major case before the uh, Supreme Court. I don't want to tell you who. There's a Supreme Court justice that carries. So I <laughs> I think <laughs> I think the uh, law is going to change very soon. The, the carry uh, laws or anti-carry laws in New York have been challenged. And from the oral argument, oh, it looks like they're going to be invalidated. And that would force all the other states which, by the way, is a minority of states. You can carry in about 25 or 26 states. You only need a permit from one of them, and you can carry in all the others. All the carry laws in the other states, including and especially New Jersey, are going to go by the wayside. Well, let's hope. Because right. if we are not able to protect ourselves, then we have much bigger problems. Much Correct. bigger problems. But, Correct. you know... We've been going from crisis to crisis, and I know we're gonna. I I know we're limited on time here, so I'm gonna do it really fast. But you know, there's a long history of wars, like you pointed out, World War One, which was right around the same time that the Federal Reserve was installed. Oh, Woodrow Wilson was a monster. The Federal Reserve, World War One, the administrative state, and the federal income tax all under the presidency of this professor from Princeton who thought he was smarter than anybody else. Yep. And I think that was, well, I know that was the beginning. I believe we are now at the end. And so with short time, is there um, any words that you would like to leave our viewers with? Uh, be vigilant and be courageous and understand what your rights are. And if the government comes knocking, Ask them for a warrant. If they don't have a warrant, close the door. <laughs> That's what I would say if they if I if they came to my business looking to see if my employees were vaccinated. Where's your warrant? Well, we don't have one. We're we're from the health department. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, the night Reagan once said the nine most dangerous words in the English language are hi, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. <laughs> don't believe it. <laughs> wow. With that, I, I hope you'll come back on again because you I will come back at the drop of a hat. You let me speak. It's a great interview. I love you. I love your work. Oh, Anybody that's you. a friend of Gerald Salenti's is a friend of mine, even if you're blonde haired and you live in, live in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gray haired. I'm gray haired. Don't you remember? <laughs> I hope I see you again the next time Gerald has one of those uh, gatherings in beautiful Kingston, New York half of which he owns. I know, <laughs> I know. And that was, that's where I was raised. So if Gerald asks me, oh, yep. If, if Gerald asks me at a drop of a hat, I will be there a hundred percent of the time. For, for those watching us now, truly one of the most beautiful old towns in the United States of America, the original capital of the state of New York. The first chief justice, John Jay, is buried there and many, many structures, including some of yes. Gerald's, or the original uh, 17th century, that 1600s yes. era construction. Magnificent buildings, magnificent town. It's probably why I'm an antiquer, honestly, yeah, because that's what I grew up amongst. So this has been so great, Judge. Thank you so much for coming. And to all of our viewers, I hope you got as much out of this as I did. 
This is just the first interview. The judge will be back. And until next we meet, please be safe out there. Bye-bye.